Yes. Let's go. My name is Dave W. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, wow, Chase, you really curated the vibe, fam. I'm excited. Yo, I, I feel lifted up. I'm excited to be a member of AA. You set it off, man. The energy of recovery is so contagious. I love this way of life. I also see so many people I know and love in this room. I want to thank Fez for the invite. I see Ebony and Justine and Bobby G, who I saw last night. Uh, I feel like we could have just closed the meeting after Chase. Like, we good. Like, this is this is unnecessary. Plus all those readings. I mean, geez, guys, how many things do you read here? I mean, goodness sake, happy birthday to all the birthday people. We're doing it. This is happening right here, right now. Uh, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. It's different things for different people. We're making it work on Zoom. We're making direct amends over Zoom. We're reading the big book, doing workshops all over Zoom. In my meetings, we like the chat box. No disrespect to the group conscious, but if y'all want to turn it on, I will, I'll take it because I really like the occasional LFG in the chat box. You know what I'm saying? It's exciting when you can feel other people's energy, right? So I'm over here scrolling through the, uh, through the windows so I can see your face. I appreciate, you know, the half-hearted smiles or whatever you got. I can see you on your phone too. It's all good. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm like that. It's tough. We're making it work. It's 2021. Yo, this is going to be your best year yet. The big book promised me, it says the most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead of you. It's all promises. Things are going to get better. And maybe there's, you know, a rough trajectory ahead. But to have hope for a better life is such a key part of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I come from, a, I come from a, a, a period of hopelessness. I would never say that I was utterly hopeless. But uh, I felt hopeless at some point. You know, I too, like Chase, bottomed out in some dark places, some institutions. My last drink was industrial hand sanitizer. It was a chemical process from which you can extract the alcohol from the soap. My, my last hit of crack cocaine was in, a, was in the finger of a glove that was traveling inside of a man's body cavity that went from one facility to the next. And that's just a thing that you do on the inside. I traded all my phone cards for a hit, you know, and I'm just picturing Chase in that parking lot down there. You know what I mean? I got excited. You know, I like to hear about the illness. I like to hear about the condition. I have a severe condition. Uh, I'm the real deal. And I don't say that to be, um, yeah, the chat's open. I like vibes. I'm from this, you know, I'm born in 81. We multitask. You know what I'm saying? I could, I'm over here talking. We got the chat box going. I'm over here texting too. And I'm reading the big book. This is the, the way our brains have evolved. It's gotten really weird. The book here, doing things. I got my tea. It's non-caffeinated. I'm off the caffeine. I had to get off. I just abuse everything. Everything that's awesome and that's dopaminergic, it ends up getting funky with me. I can't. Did someone say plur in the chat box? That's an old raver thing. I guess I used to say that a lot. You know, I'm 14 years clean and sober. I got sober in 2006 and I, I see Jordan E. Yeah, I'm a product of the rave scene. Someone just said plur. You made my freaking night. I got sober and I was like, where's all the ravers at? And so ever since I've been talking, I've always, I've always gave a little shout out to the ravers. 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, San Bernardino, Pomona, the mountains. Uh, I, should, I even went to, to the Bay Area to go to a couple raves. You feel me? I'm willing to go to any lengths for uh, the next one. And, you know, at the time, it was a spiritual experience. You know what I'm saying? Like, go on a mission with my buds. Go on a, you know what I mean? Like, let's get the car all packed up. We got, we got the acid in the E. We got the liquor at home waiting for us. We got the blunts rolled. I used to roll little things and put them in. I used to hollow out chapsticks. You take out the chapstick, you break the inside, 
and you could put like a half a blunt in there and it was like a blunt case and it could go anywhere. You know what I mean? Um, I'm willing to go to any lengths for the next one. And when I got to AA, they were like, are you willing to go to any lengths for a spiritual experience? And I was like, absolutely. Let's fucking go. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, it didn't happen immediately. When I got sober in 2006, I came into a treatment center, my third and final treatment center. I'd been to quite a few. I've been to a couple of correctional facilities. I've been through hospital detox, all places where I get loaded, if you want to know the absolute truth. But I came in here with the mind of a chronic alcoholic, which means even after having really low moments, really like dark moments of surrender, hopelessness, really begging for something different, without the steps, guess what happens? I changed my mind. Yeah, I get, my mind gets really suggestive. You know, give me 30 days in a treatment center. Give me some, uh, you know, some, some coffee and cigarettes. When I got sober, it was coffee and cigarettes. Now y'all doing energy drinks and vape. But it, it, was, it was old school coffee and cigarettes back in the day. And, uh, you know, let me gain 30 pounds in 30 days. I'll have some cool groups. I'm good at groups. I'll tell you about how much Oxycontin I sniff. I'll brag to you about my 18-year whiskey. So talk to you about how I'm Irish. I come from a genetic legacy of alcoholism. I take full pulls from the bottle. I'm not a bar drinker. I'm not a cheery drinker that needs friends around. I like to drink in the morning. And I don't mean in the morning when I wake up. I mean, in the morning, I've been going at it all night, right? But I'm the kind of alcoholic who needs a little something just to get started. You know, I need a little something all the time. Uh, I always need a drink, okay? Um, I didn't always want to be like blacked out. Uh, I see my Irish folk in the house. I didn't always want to be blacked out. Like there's people that are blackout drinkers or like, you know, the heroin folk. They just want to just check out and be oblivion all the time. It wasn't me. I want to make it work. You know, like there people say I needed 20 drinks. I didn't need 20 drinks. I just needed one drink, but I needed it every 20 minutes. Okay. I want to stretch it out. I want to make it work. I want to ride this thing into my elder years. My greatest obsession was that I'd be 60. Uh, of course, I pictured myself rich, you know, was, you know, one of those kind of jobs where I didn't have to do anything. I just had like this, I was just like granted a position of authority and I had a briefcase and I called shots. I was the head of something because I'm just so epic in my mind that someone was going to pluck me from the crack den that I lived and put me in a position of power and say, you know, you run this record label now, Dave. Like that's how I thought it was going to play out. Cause you know, I made a rap CD when I was a high school senior. You know what I'm saying? Yo, that 1999 underground joint that I put out, I swear like 75 of them circulated. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like at Hamilton High School, I was it for like a whole week, fam. I was sure that I was going to get lifted up, right? And, um, you know, I imagined that I would stop being hectic. I would stop doing crime. I would stop doing these things every day, but my great fantasy was that I would evolve into my older years and be able to have some nice single malt responsibly and to smoke crack quarterly. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, four times, three or four times a year, my wife would be cool with it. She would respect the fact that this was something that had kind of changed my genetic code. You know, that like, Perhaps I even have some gut bacteria that have a strong preference for it and they need to be fed every three months, right? Like there would be a strong rationale for why it would be okay because I'm successful. And I was just going to pull off life, man. I was going to have all the things. That's what I want. I want to be a great son. I want to be, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to, you know, 
like not get in any legal trouble. I want to be normal, right? But then I want all the benefits of being a counterculture person. I'm obsessed with counterculture. Like I want to be, I don't want to be a part of the mainstream. I don't want to join your little society. Let me guess, you pay taxes, don't you, right? Oh, do you get Robex in the morning for breakfast, right? Like, I think I'm so counterculture, right? I find music that people don't have, right? Like, we, you know, by the way, I'm also a product of car culture. I like vehicles. I'm from LA, from LA, okay? What do we do in LA? We drive. So when I'm 15, I'm already like planning, you know, what's going to be the car that I get when I'm 16. I mean, what else is there? Oh, I'm also third dimensional. I'm into things. Yeah. 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 I'm shallow. I like stuff. I grew up worshiping uh, uh, items. I like brand name logos. When I was in high school, Hamilton High School, it was Nautica and Tommy Hilfiger. I'd do anything for one of them colorful jackets. You feel me? Pej sees it. Yo, I'll steal if I have to. I'll go to Ross. We'll switch the tags. You know, not only do I go to Ross, I switch the tags and get a cheaper one. You know, I'm on the grind. I'm trying to make it work. The Nautica sailing jackets. We're having fun tonight. This is a cultural experience, this Alcoholics Anonymous thing. This is a real thing we've got going on here. I appreciate the energy. I see the love. And it's so important. Uh, each one reach one. We can lift each other up around here. Doesn't have there's there's the realm of the spirit is broad and roomy. There's room for everyone. You know, there we don't have to compete. I don't even have to fire any shots. I don't have to fire any shots. I, I have a history of firing shots. I, I love I actually really like it. I enjoy it. It's a thing that I like to do in AA, you know, and part of it's just be, being influenced by other people, like listening to speakers that I felt were really big book based, that like were able to come in and like you know, basically like gun down whole sex of AA. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's powerful, right? Can I stay sober long enough and get confident enough about this book where I can like take a stand on some issues? Yeah, I can. Of course, there's unintended consequences with everything, right? Like someone gets, uh, you know, hurt. You know, I, I never meant to hurt anyone. I just want to lift people up and encourage people to get excited about recovery and go through the motherfucking big book. Quit playing. You know, sitting around talking about, you know, you know, hanging out for, for years on end, you know, didn't make narrow men and coming in the meeting to talk about your problems. You know what I mean? It's like, come, come, come on, please, please just, just go through 76 through 83. Make a list of people you've harmed. Call me. Let's talk about it, right? I, uh, I, 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 I love the step process. I found myself in the big book and I got really, really comfortable with this way of life. Um, you know, I, I was, I was uh, mentioning that I, I'm third dimensional. I heard Chase say the fourth dimension. So I learned something. Uh, the third dimension is the world of form, right? It, 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 it's, the, uh, it's the realm of the material, right? It's the stuff we can see. And I like tangible things. I'm a stickler for facts and results. I like data. I like things that can count, things I can weigh and measure, right? And then they said there's something called the fourth dimension of existence. It's the world of spirit, right? It's, the, it's, it's, it's a totally different experience. And I just remember, I was like, man, I want to be a part of that. What do I got to do? So let me clarify. I'm going to circle all the way back to where I started. I got in here and I... Uh, I didn't want 
to embark on this way of life because my brain was still hijacked. It was still hijacked by thoughts of my old life. I want to, you know what, I, I'll be honest. I came to meetings. You know what I really wanted? I wanted to stay sober long enough so you could ask me to speak for 40 minutes. And if you gave me 40 minutes, I could really indulge the content of my story. Like I wanted you to know that I'm from West LA. I went to, I went to, I went to public school. Um, uh, I, I wanted you to know that I, 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 I lived in downtown when I was 17 years old. Okay, I, I went to a university between Vermont and Figueroa in the downtown area. I really wanted you to know about the, uh, the money that I made and the things that I purchased and the parties that I went to and the people that I met in the Hollywood Hills and the drugs that I sold. And I wanted you to know the details of the pharmaceuticals because we had it all. I'm talking about fentanyl, lollipops, promethazine, codeine, you name it, oxy 80s. Like, I don't know how even it was possible to get so much of that stuff. It, it wasn't like it was someone's like prescription. It was like a truck drove off. You know what I mean? It was like trucks were driving off that were meant to go to hospitals and they were going to the hood. You know what I mean? I'm a product of the I'm a product of the opioid epidemic in the early 2000s. Purdue Pharma. I'm a product of that shit. And uh, uh, you know, uh, I wanted you to know um, about the people I hung around. I'm a worshiper of you know people, sentiments, things, money. Why did you know about the cars? I had some I had some cool cars. You know, I'll tell you a quick story in Bill's in Bill's story. You know, there's little lines. Okay. The way to read the big book, and this is just my uh, gentle advice, is like to try to find yourself in it. So it's, you're not looking at it like, oh, what's so important about Bill? Forget about Bill. Read it as like my story. This is Dave's story. So as I read Bill's story, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking for things that are similar to, to, to my story. So on, on page two, he says, the drive for success was on. I proved to the world I was important. So, I mean, one could just read that real simply and be like, okay, cool. Bill wanted to prove to the world I'm important. Here's what I do. I say in my first step, as I'm going through the process, trying to learn more about myself, you know, how did I always try to prove to the world that I'm important? And I, I took a deep dive and I was like, oh my God, I spent my whole life trying to prove something, right? I, can, I'm, I definitely want to prove that I'm important because deep down I have fear that I'm not. And if I know that I'm important, I don't need to prove it. So I don't think that I'm important because I have an inferiority complex and a wound structure and uh, uh, deep-seated insecurities that I don't want you to find out about. So I need to go to the extra mile to prove that I'm important. I want to prove that I'm an exception to the rule that I can drink like a, a normal person, even though I pass a region from which there's no return through human aid. Uh, I want to prove to you that I'm smarter than you. I'm a self-seeker. I secretly want credit for the things that I do. I'm on a mission. I got something to prove all the time, but, but check it out. I looked at my story and I realized that when I was, I don't know, maybe 20, I bought a really fancy car with drug money. And you know where the first place I went? You know, I, I picked up, I picked up a really a souped up version of something from the Santa Monica dealership. I went straight to my dad's house. I wanted to pull up on my dad. I wanted him to know, I, I had a nicer car than my dad. He's an orthopedic surgeon. Okay. I wanted him to know that I had kind of found uh, some things in this thing we call life and that his, his guidebook wasn't all that helpful, you know, and that, um, you know, uh, matter of fact, you know, if he needed help with this thing called life, like I could show you the way this is the mentality that I have at 20. I'm like, Hey, yo, check it out. It's me take notes. And I remember my dad was like, 
that's a bold move, son. And, you know, I convinced him that I was in the nightlife, right? You know, we're doing parties, right? And uh, I was in the nightlife. Uh, but, you know, they, they were onto me, but they were also in denial. So check it out. I wanted to tell you that story. I wanted to tell you about the treatment centers that I went through. I want to tell you about the riots at Wayside in 2006 when I got tear gassed, um, when they separated everyone. I wanted to tell you about being in the hole for two weeks. I did two weeks in solitary confinement and I was fed through the door and I was pacing in the, in the thing, uh, like singing and rapping and uh, check it out. They got this, this intercom, right? It's like an emergency intercom. And if you put your ear really tight on it and you cover your other ear, you can hear the other inmates, right? So, you know, we got some communication going and like, you, you know, we talk into it and you got to really space it out. But um, I made some invisible friends. I'm saying they were definitely there. We never got to really meet, but we did hard time in uh, solitary together. Uh, I wanted you to know all the details and the content of my story. I wanted to prove to you that I was important, that I was um, um, memorable on planet Earth. And then, you know, as I got sober, things started to shift a little bit. I came to meetings. I went to a lot of meetings at the Marina Center. That was really helpful to me early on. Uh, I did a lot of West Hollywood and Beverly Hills, but I kind of felt like I was going there looking for girls and looking for celebrities, right? Like I, you know, that's how I am. Like I came up, I came up like, you know, wanting to be someone important and trying to prove it. So, uh, and I went to these men's stags. There's these high powered men's stags on the West side where like, you know, dudes pull up in the Bentley and I'm like, yo, you know, like, can you be my sponsor, dude? You know, like, can I get a job? Can you, sh you know what I mean? And like that, it felt like, I felt like I was like trying to find something in AA you know, help me get out of debt. You know, I was like looking like I was being pulled toward this. It was kind of a smoke screen, right? You know, I go to the big meeting and I hear the speaker and they're funny and they're great. And um, I'm still not getting fed on a spiritual level, right? Like I'm going to the gym. You know, I met, I talk, I, I met some of these girls. We had Blackberry Messenger back then, 2006, 2007. You remember the BBM? Yo, you get you get out you get on someone's BBM, you're in there. Yeah, <laughs> it was the vibes. I had uh, uh, Risha says you never been to the Marina Center. Yo, Mar Mar Marina Center for me, mostly late night. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm 14 years clean and sober. I'm 39 years old. The most consistent meeting in my whole recovery is 11 p.m. Marina Center. I don't go there anymore because I got you know other stuff going on. But I'm going to tell you from year two to year 10, I was at the Marina Center regularly, pulling in folk, pulling them into the workshop. I go give, I, I used to talk there on a regular basis. I share there a lot. And we had it on lock. It's like some of the best memories of, of my sobriety. When the, when the fledgling society first started the Sunday night meeting, the workshop was going on. And we all used to fall down on the workshop at, at, at the, uh, at the uh, Marina Center late night and just share. We just all share. And people were like, what? What are these people talking about? Because we were sharing differently. And that's what I heard after I stuck around a little while. Here's what happened. I did the West Hollywood, the Beverly Hills, the Men's Stags thing. And then I started going to some different meetings. And I heard people speaking with a little bit more conviction. They were a little bit more sure of what they were talking about. 
And uh, I probably wasn't ready for it in my first few months, but I was probably toward like six, nine months. And I could hear something that felt different. You know, it wasn't smoke screen. It wasn't just funny. Ha ha. It actually was hitting me. It was like hitting me like, oh, my God. And the book talks about a message of depth and weight. And uh, I just want to take a, a moment and thank the men and women who came before me that had the courage to come up to the lecterns and the podiums and speak with conviction about the power of God working in their lives. And they, some of them carried big books and they went up there and they made point blank declarations that God had done for them what they, had, what they could never do for themselves. And you know what really got me? This is what I heard. And this was the thing that really got me, okay? I must have been a year sober by this time. You know, I had made a, I'd done a round of step work, made a round of amends, but uh, there was people that came up and they, uh, they didn't need to shout. Some of them shouted. I do like that, by the way. Some people in AA, they're like, oh God, is this the yelling guy again? It's like, yeah, I, I know. It's not, so you, you just want to chill and like have a nice little life story. I needed to be yelled at, fam. Yo, I came in, I went to meetings in South Central and they were like, hur, hur, hur. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, they were like, they're like, it'd be some things that you must do if you be the real one. And I was like, oh shit, I'm the real one. So there's some things that I must do. What is it? And they're like, there's a clear, there's a program of action that's outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous with clear cut directions that's perfect and precise, just the way it is. They were like, just the way it is. I mean, I don't have to add anything. I don't have to take anything uh, uh, away. Because here's how I was sponsoring people in the middle, in the beginning. I was trying to be this ultimate savior, like this kind of guru. I was like a year and a half. I was like, yo, I'm sober. I got the vibe. You need some advice? I'm the sage. I'm 25, multiple convicted felon. Uh, you know, you need relationship advice. I got you. I'm sober a year and a half. What you want to do? Read the 12 and 12. People called me and I was like, dude, I'm in AA. You don't understand. I'm in AA, so I have some kind of authority over, if you have less time than me, I got the advice on deck. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, someone's going through a breakup. I got the little one-liners. Hey, yo, you know, rejection is God's protection. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm nice with it. You know, I'm learning how to speak the AA banter and whatnot. And uh, here's what happened. You know, these people were speaking. I, I, I say these people. I'm not even talking about anyone specifically or even any group right? It was just people that were speaking the language of the big book. And to me, it became the language of the heart. I remember there was a guy, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was late night, this OG from Venice, uh, blanking on his name, Robert, he used to wear like one of those Kangol's hats and uh, OG from Venice. And I remember in my first year of sobriety, he said, he said he was rocketed into the fourth dimension of existence. And I was just like, oh, like this dude's rad, you know, like he looked like he had been around, he's 20 something years sober, been through some things. Fast forward, like six months later, I found it in the big book. I was like, that dude bit that shit. He, you know what I'm saying? He didn't even come up with that. I was upset, but here, check it out. Uh, sometimes people say, oh, Dave, you know, um, such a, you carry a great message. And I'm telling you, I don't even carry, it's not even my message. I'm just here carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous, baby from 1939, that's the message that I carry. It's the only thing that's ever worked for me. It's the only message I'm qualified to carry. You know, I might sprinkle in a little neuroscience here and there. I might hit you with some, with some PTSD research. I might slide in a little gut bacteria here and there. You know, we might talk about a couple other things around here, but I'm really just carrying the message of AA. 
you know, uh, 1939. So, so here's what got me. I go on tangents, but I always come back. You know why? Because I've been restored to sanity. My brain works great. My hippocampus fires. My memory works. I've had, um, I'm a product of neuroplasticity. My brain's been rewired. I got sober with nutrition, exercise, sunlight, water, 12 steps, spirituality, reading. And I've been doing this for 14 years. My brain works really, really well today. And I want the new, the new people to hear that. Okay. I, um, I definitely had a, a period of reconstruction though. Okay. When I was in uh, Supermax at Wayside, I tried to read the big book. Uh, it didn't work so well. I did that. I'm, I'm scanning it with my eyes. You know what I'm saying? When you try to read some shit. So by the way, I'm talking about the big book fam, but I'm not saying you need to be academic and you need to be a, you know, a PhD or any of that to, to do it. Um, it's an experience, right? And it's experienced with others. So when I tried to read it by myself, it was just kind of like, okay, you know, I would get to the bottom of the page and I would kind of assess, like, did I soak anything up on that page or did I, was I just scanning it with my eyes and thinking about other stuff? And I was like, ah, oh, fuck it, just keep going, right? That's how I first kind of got exposed to the big book. So I want to be uh, clear, this is, this is not about uh, how smart you are and how you can academically dissect the literature. It's about abandoning yourself to a process that's been around and doing it with other people who are on the same page. And by the way, this is important. And then I'm gonna circle back. It doesn't matter which method you use. It doesn't matter if you do it with the four columns or the five, well, that kind of matters a little bit, but it doesn't matter if you do it, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, uh, note cards or without note cards or, you know, those little details. What matters is if you believe in what you're doing. Hi, Haley P. I just want you to stay too. Is that you believe in what you're doing and you do it with others who are on the same page. That's, that's what's called synergy. It's a, it's a synergistic uh, piece, right? So yeah, in my, in my home group, we do five column inventories. If anyone's interested, I'll leave the uh, Zoom stuff at the end of the meeting. We meet every Wednesday night from 7.30 till 9 p.m. We go from the cover page to 164 from January to November. And guess what? It's January. Yo, you could just slide in just like that. You know, see you on Wednesday. Um, so the message that got my attention, it was very different than what I was hearing in a lot of uh, other AA meetings. People were talking about getting restored to sanity in a way that gave them access to intuition and allowed people to use their brains again. And that was the thing that clinched it for me. I was like, wait a minute. I had heard that other message, which is I'm an alcoholic. So therefore I'm sick and I'm powerless and I will always be powerless. Therefore I need a sponsor to run everything by and that sponsor will make those decisions for me. And then I will be grateful to them for the rest of my life. And I will be able to get by another day. And that message is important for some people, okay? Um, I believe in that, in that for some people, but it didn't resonate with me. I was like, that's not gonna be right when I'm 20 years sober. I hear people with 20 years sober, they're like, I'm 20 years sober, taking care, I do the same exact thing that I did when I was in my first 90 days. And I'm like, whoa, that sounds like a rough trajectory. You know what I'm saying? Like I wanted to uh, get some recovery to where I would grow in my understanding and effectiveness, be able to integrate this into my life. I'll be able to um, 
go out into my home's occupations and affairs, practice principles uh, that are not only in the big book, but are individual and personal to me, and that I will be able to integrate back into the mainstream of life and make my recovery portable and sustainable. Okay. So what I mean by portable is that it's not independent on a place. It's not a place that I go to or a person that I call or a phone list. It's something that I take with me. So it's not a thing that I do anymore. It's a thing that I become. So when I'm doing uh, uh, conversations with people and something gets weird, I'm able to clean it up really quickly and make direct amends and say what I mean and mean what I say and turn my thoughts to someone I can help. Guess what? Doing AA. It's not just the place that I come to that meets for 60 or 90 minutes, right? And by the way, 90 minutes is just too much, you guys. Reel it in. <laughs> I mean, what are you doing? We're not, you know, like this is, we're on, we're on Zoom, at least like bring it down to 75. I mean, come on. Uh, uh, it's something that I do uh, in all my affairs and that it can be independent of my attendance or my phone use. You know, back in 39, they didn't even have phones. And they, I got sober and they were talking about AAs about how many people you call per day. Like, yo, the original message didn't even have phones. You know, I mean, they didn't have cell phones. They had some kind of jangle jangle. Bill says in his thing that your telephone may jangle at all, at all times of night, right? I was like, uh, anyways, so, so these people, these royal we uh, got my attention and I started going to different meetings where they were book-based. I went to meetings that were, were literature based. And what, what that means is either they were reading from the big book or there was a topic from the big book. And I felt like it was a different experience because at a bare minimum, even if it was like a, a bunch of garbage shares, everyone was sharing about the same thing. So like at the bare minimum, you got like a little lesson in AA, right? Like at the bare minimum, everyone talked about the third step. That made so much sense to me. As opposed to, you know, what I had been exposed to a lot was like everyone came to the AA meeting and everyone just talked about themselves, right? And pulled the meeting in their own direction. And there was no like cohesive theme that was created by the meeting. It made so much sense to me that we should have a topic and that we could all build and that at least there would be an educational component to it. So I picked a topic. Um, you know, and I, I don't know what time I'm supposed to stop. If someone wants to put my stop time in the chat box, that would be great. The chat box made it so much more fun. You know what I mean? Y'all need to have a group conscience tonight. I'm just kidding. Uh, this is on page 102. Okay. Uh, this is a chapter seven called Working with Others. Thank you, Pesh. This is the uh, third, second full paragraph. It's at the bottom of the page. This is the good stuff. This is the shit. Shit that got me excited, you know, stuff that like, you know, you just don't hear when you go to just regular old speaker meetings. You need to go to a, like a, a book-based meeting to hear this kind of stuff. It says, your job now. So look, by the time I get to step 12, I, get, I got this new employer in the third step. Uh, I've been tasked to become useful with six and seven. I've cleaned up some, some scrapes and some wreckage, uh, mostly direct, some indirect, some on the flank, but I'm continuing to follow up. I've entered the world of the spirit. I've become inclusive. I want to help people. I'm concerned for the welfare of others. And I learned to sit quietly when in doubt. I learned to say little prayers intuitively. By the way, this is important. In Alcoholics Anonymous, you can become the author of your own prayers. You don't have to say it the way they say it in the big book. In the third step, it says the wording is optional. In the seventh step, it says when ready, we say something like this right? They're all suggestions. So our relationship to God becomes individual and personal. 
And I was taught that I could pray in my own voice and I could rewrite the prayers and I can say whatever I want. So guess what I do? I like to freestyle my prayers sometimes, you know? I mean, my, my high school dreams always came true. I'm a, yo, you know what my high school dream was, right? I wanted to be a rapper. Uh, there was nothing that would sound more glorious than having my name ring bells in South Central Los Angeles and be up on stage with the mic. Fast forward, I'm like six years sober, circuit speaking in CA. I'm in there, I'm on stage with the mic and I'm freestyling, I'm talking about God and all my dreams have come true. I'm telling you, this way of life is awesome. I wanna encourage you to dream big and dream differently than other people. Access intuition. You never know how the trajectory is gonna play out. I wouldn't have been, ever been able to predict like my life, my, my job, like my actual job, the things that I do, the things that I do impossible for me to predict there would have been no way like the 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 career that i have i took a class in it and i dropped it when i was an undergrad of course i was using and drinking so it's a but like like i would i hated it and now uh, it's what i do full time right so so i have a job but in aa we get this other kind of job okay and it says your job now is to be at the place and this is important it doesn't say that you have to always be helpful to people. It says we always have to be, have the constant thought of others. I don't even have to really help anyone. I just have to have the thought of helping someone. <laughs> uh, uh, it is what it says. It says your job now is to be at the place. And when it says place, it's talking about an in, internal place. It's not like, oh, I go to the corner where I can sell the, the, you know, the crystal meth. The place is internal, okay? And there's a part in chapter five, it says returning home, we can be quiet for an hour. Re home is like, I think about an internal place, right? Of course, I want to do that at home. But I've also done uh, fist step hours in the park, done it by the beach. You could do it anywhere. You can find home anywhere. So the place that this is talking about, your job now is to be at the place, right? To be at this internal place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others, right? So part of AA is just kind of, you know, getting right-sized, uh, learning how to be humble, to, to be grateful. But another part of it is like, you know, maxing out, like gaining, uh, growing in my understanding and efficiency, becoming incredibly useful, right? And the word maximum actually came in the, in the ninth step on page 77. It says our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God. So like, you know, I got right-sized through the step process, but as I get to nine, I get to 12, guess what? God starts to max me out, starts to max me out in usefulness, right? I didn't know that the whole point was to become useful. I thought I, I thought I needed to find how to be happy. And I was confused. You know what made me happy before? Things that uh, activate my reward system. So anything that was a substance, caffeine, nicotine, sugar, sex, crack cocaine, meth, I like whiskey, um, uh, things, right? Third dimensional things. They gave me pleasure. I thought it made me happy. And then I came into AA and they were like, 4D, Dave, let's go. Guess what? I don't chase happiness anymore. I chase usefulness. I try to look for a way to be maximally useful and I let God take care of the rest. I call it the usefulness bus. It says, uh, your job now is to be at the place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. Oof. I mean, that's kind of how my like uh, career path has changed. Like I, I, like 
I got into some things that I wouldn't have, like I said, predicted. And I think there's a lot of helpfulness attached to it. But it's also important to remember that, you know, the big book gives us power. You know, you hear things in, um, in, uh, in the fellowship, like, you know, you never go on a 12 step call alone, right? Like, you know, you, you, you might end up drunk. It's like, no, I've been restored to sanity. Uh, I've, I've been, I've been uh, lifted up by way of a spiritual experience. Spiritual malady has been overcome. You know what it says on page 91, working with others, the beginning chapter, third paragraph, it says, see your man alone if possible, right? Straight up, right? So, so I don't hesitate to go anywhere if I can be helpful, okay? Um, you should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Oof. That means I, I, you know, being able to go to Skid Row to carry the message. I had someone, I was on Skid Row one time speaking and someone came out of uh, a porta potty and like blew a hit. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I had, I had crack smoke on me and I was completely neutral, completely neutral to it, right? Um, and uh, I think, you know, I could go on and on about what other sordid spots might be, but um, I found myself being able to be useful outside of AA as well in, uh, in recent years. It's amazing. God is bigger than, bigger than AA. God doesn't, you know, have, you know, grandchildren, everyone's uh, unique in some way. And, you know, one of the best jobs I had in early recovery, I must've been two years sober. I was a private tutor for a kid who had prosthetic legs and he was a burn victim and he had one arm and he needed like special tutoring. And I, I knew someone from this fellowship whose sister worked for a nonprofit and they got me a job, right? And this is me as a multiple convicted felon. You know, I just got a chance to learn that like I can bring God with me wherever I go. I can just maximize my usefulness. I can do the best that I can to make contributions in the mainstream of life, pack things into the stream uh, rather than rest on my laurels and sit around moaning and complaining about my life, Okay. And uh, I, I, I've had some periods in my recovery where I needed to do some moaning and some complaining. And I've had to call alcoholics. I've had to read inventories to my sponsor. I've had to read inventories to people that I sponsor. And it's all really, really, really important. But I like to go to AA meetings that are pep rallies for the power of God. Where we come together and we set aside, you know, our woes. We talk about being useful, being lifted up, being able to help others, being able to face life successfully, being able to look the world in the eye and being able to trust our thinking and make power moves, right? Let's go. And then I'm gonna finish this uh, paragraph. It says, keep on the firing line of life, the firing line of life, right? With these motives and God will keep you unharmed. That's a promise, that God will keep you unharmed, right? So uh, when I got sober, I had five felony convictions. I had never had a real job. I had $80,000 worth of debt. I got sober in a nonprofit treatment center I, uh, my first job was working at a thrift store and I was sweeping the floor and I was like, you know, taking clothes that I could use. A lot of my stuff was in storage unit. I had a bunch of stories that I wanted to tell people. I ended up coming into AA, wanting what you guys have, surrendering to the big book. My story changed. I started telling the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. Um, I started to uh, feel useful 
And then I took that usefulness back out into the world. I finished my undergraduate degree. I got a job then working as a personal trainer. I got really into health and fitness, really into nutrition. I went to graduate school uh, when I was three and four and five years sober. And I just went from two classes to three classes to four classes to working. I ended up getting a 3.91 GPA. I did a master's thesis linking nutrition and mental health. And I learned to love reading and writing. And, you know, when it was my turn to give a PowerPoint presentation in my graduate school program, you better believe I got up there with confidence. I'd already spoke at a thousand panels. I was confident. You guys gave me confidence. Everyone else was all scared. I was like, you want me to do a PowerPoint? Give me the clicker. I'm like, boom, right? Uh, you know, I got the extra, my PowerPoint slides were on point. And uh, it's something that I love to do. You know, I got a chance to, you know, become a teacher in some ways, uh, a healthcare professional. And uh, I was able to pay off my debts, you know, at um, uh, eight years sober, I put the last check in the mail, got back to zero. I learned how to save money. Money was easy come, easy go for me. I learned how to save money. And it was the best lesson. God knew what I needed. I think I know what I need, right? It's one of the delusions I learned in the third step. It says being all powerful, he provided what we needed, right? As long as I kept close to him, the nearness of my creator and perform his work well. And I've, that's what I've been trying to do. Just perform the work of Alcoholics Anonymous, carry it with me out into the world. You know, um, I've had some really awesome experiences, you know, um, in the last few years, um, you know, personally, professionally, um, you know, the biggest challenge came four years ago. I got accepted into a PhD program at UCLA and I've been trudging my way through a doctoral degree public health, um, you know, doing research on, you know, social determinants of health and early life adversity, uh, child maltreatment, household dysfunction, child abuse, sexual abuse, things like that, how it affects mental health over the lifespan. And I've been able to uh, become an academic. I have, you know, published multiple uh, papers in peer-reviewed journals, high impact, first author papers, and I spend a lot of time just working I just, I want to work. I want to contribute. I want to be an agent, right? I, I want to, I want, I want, I want God to use me to be a spearhead. And uh, it's been awesome. It's been so cool. You know, my parents are getting old. My mom has dementia. I'm able to show up for them. My time is pretty much split between, you know, a full-time job. I own a company. I'm finishing my PhD. I'm super active in AA. We have a bunch of meetings at the fledgling society Sunday night. Uh, Monday night, Friday night, and the workshop is Wednesday night. You're all invited to join us. Um, I've got I've got love in my life. I've I've got a, I've got a I've got a full plate. And uh, whenever the plate gets a little bit of space on it, I just put more on. You know why? Because my job now is to be at the place where I can be of maximum help for this. I'm just getting maxed out. You know, I'll probably die young, even though I eat real good. I have my telomeres tested recently, and I'm two standard deviations below the mean. I'm not designed to like live till I'm 90. I'm just gonna max out and uh, let's go. Uh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to be sober. Um, you know, I'm excited for this year. I'm not in any gloom and doom right now. I'm excited for what's coming up next and I'm excited for Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and if you're new and you want what we have, not what I have, don't, you're not gonna get what I have. You're gonna get what, what, what you get. But if you want what we have, it's the collective we of Alcoholics Anonymous, the first 100 men and women that blaze the path, um, then you are ready to take certain steps. The steps are outlined in the big book. We go through it. We go through it line by line, page by page. And uh, it's open and available to all. Chase said it. 
and I just backed it up, right? Uh, uh, we did great. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Chase, for sharing. Thank you, Pej. Thank you for everyone who uh, stuck around. And uh, let's fucking go.